Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We are indeed still on our theme of Exodus, but I want to pick up today on things that Jesus teaches us about actually where we are right now. We're in chapter 16 of the Exodus, and it's about the the manna, the manna that appeared on the ground in the mornings. But Jesus, in John chapter 6, teaches about that manna and reveals the real meaning of it. And so who better to listen to than the Lord Jesus? Holy Spirit, we love you, and you are the one who reveals to us the Word of God. Without your miracle, we cannot understand this book. With your miracle, we, it is a living book to us, and it transforms us and heals us and builds our faith and transforms our character into Christ's character. Come now and move powerfully through your precious Word and open our eyes and our ears, and soften our heart to receive it. Mine first of all, in Jesus' name, amen. The next day after Jesus fed about 15,000 people with five barley loaves and two fish, a crowd of people found him and tried to convince him to again miraculously provide them with bread. He refused, but picked up on their reference to the manna in the wilderness, explaining they had not understood the real message in the miracle, of the manna. The real message was that God would someday provide a bread that they would only have to eat once and would keep them alive forever. Still not understanding, they begged Jesus to give them that bread, and he immediately granted them what they asked for. He, he said, I am the bread of life, who will fulfill your spiritual hunger and nourish you so you'll never die. Sadly, most who heard him say these words argued against his claims and walked away. But today, he still offers himself just as surely as he did 2,000 years ago. And if the Father is drawing us, we can behold the Son, believe in him, and choose to be one with him forever. Those who do quickly discover he is always with them and have peace in knowing they will never die. John chapter 6. I begin at verse 22. Now I'm going to read you this whole section down to verse 58. Actually, I'll start at verse about 25. It's a little, you're going to get a little muddled as it goes possibly because it's when, it, when John writes and records the words of the Lord, it's, they're very profound and they kind of interweave and you think, what did I just hear? Hang on, don't get discouraged. I'm coming back and I'm going to explain to you what you heard. But I want you to hear it first. You need to hear these words and then we'll go back and look at what they mean. Verse 25, uh, let me set it up one moment. He has fed 5,000 people. They wanted to make him king. 5,000 men, 15,000 men, women, and children. They wanted to make him king. They wanted him to be their Messiah. He actually ran away and hid from them. They couldn't find him, and at night, he snuck out of town. You know how he got out? 
he, he walked across the lake. Simple, no problem, just walk across the Sea of Galilee. Well, they couldn't find him, and they went rushing around trying to find where did he go, where did he go, where did he go, and then they got in these little boats and sailed across and found him in, in Capernaum, kind of his uh, headquarters town. I think he had an apartment there, actually, and uh, I'm serious, I think he did, and uh, so they find him in Capernaum, and here's what picks up, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? In other words, how did you do that? Um, and he does, if he's, they are already having trouble believing his miracles, let alone saying, no problem, I walked across the water. So he just doesn't answer it. Jesus answered them and said, truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the, the loaves and were filled. You just want me to do more bread. You are looking for physical bread. You didn't get the message and the miracle at all. You didn't understand spiritually what was going on. You're not here because you're hungry for God. You're here because you're hungry for bread. Do not work for the food which perishes, for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, this Father, God has set his seal. Remember, at his baptism, the Father said, My beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, and sent the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Therefore, they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Well, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. See, they're still trying to coax him into getting, giving them more bread. They thought this free food thing was great. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. We want bread that uh, we live on forever. And Jesus said, all right, I'll give you that then. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger he who believes in me will never thirst. Let's read that statement aloud together. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. To get it in our memory, let's do it again. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that, uh, pardon me, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me will I will certainly not cast out. For I have not come down from heaven, pardon me, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him, will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. And therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. What are they doing? Grumbling. Here we go again. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, 
I have come down out of heaven. See, they fully understood. He says, I have come from heaven to earth. They got it. Not everybody today gets it. He clearly said, I have come from heaven to earth. Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Let's say that simple statement. I am the bread of life. Who's the bread of life? Yes. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which also I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What are they thinking? Cannibalism. They're just disgusted. What did he just say? Ah! Ah! Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, unless, he just makes it worse, yeah. No, no mercy. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no lives in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Well, he had a huge crowd who'd gathered trying to get uh, this multiplied barley loaves again. After he said this, every single person left. The only ones standing, they all just went away just disgusted with this statement. They did not understand it. They didn't accept it. He, he very shortly says, I'm talking about spiritual things for heaven's sakes. I mean, he does too, in case you, right there in verse uh, 63. He says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words which I've spoken to you are spirit and life, dummies. <laughs> I added the dummies. He's trying but they all walked away. Only the 12 are left. They're back there kicking grass, you know. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to make of it. He says, are you going to leave too? And they said, no. <laughs> Only you have eternal words of eternal life. But I'm sure they're thinking, oh, why did you have to say that? They don't understand at all, do they? They don't understand. And it is a hard saying. Now, let's have a look at it because it's extremely powerful. The first thing I want to look at is those statements. If you notice right on through, verse 37 would be the first one, about the Father drawing us. He says, only those who the Father draw come to me. 
Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Then verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Then he says, it is written, they all will be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And then verse 65 He was saying this, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. How does the Father draw this? What is going on here? Some people would take those references to be predestination. That God is saying, you and you and you, I'm drawing to Jesus. The rest of you, well, tough luck. It's not what's being said at all. I want to show you how the Father draws men and women to Christ. And John explains it in chapter 16. Turn there, if you would. Actually, the Lord explains it, but John records it. Here's how we are drawn to Jesus. Let's have a look at it. Chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus is telling them that he's going away. He's going to ascend into heaven. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What three things does the Holy Spirit convict the world of? Correct. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Note those three things. Now he explains them. Verse 9. Concerning sin, what is the sin? Because they do not believe in me. Notice it isn't because they committed adultery, because they lied, because they killed somebody, because they gambled, because they cheated on their taxes. It's because they do not believe in me. Bottom line, that's what the Holy Spirit goes after. Notice that? It's a pretty important distinction. Secondly, verse 10, concerning righteousness... Because I no longer, pardon me, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. He, is, he says that his ascension into heaven, his resurrection from the dead, will vindicate him as the righteous one of God. See, he's being slandered left and right. They're accusing him of all kinds of things, of being a, a prophet, of being a false prophet, of being a pretender, uh, He's still being accused today. People are always slandering the righteousness of Jesus Christ, going after it. There's a book called The Da Vinci Code. Its entire purpose, in my judgment, has been born out of hell, that it might be an antidote to the passion. It will try to convince you with false history. It's absolute baloney. If we need to go into the discussion of of it, I will be happy to. It 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 is a very false premise that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene. And the thing's a bestseller, and they're going to make a movie of it and try to undo some of the damage the passion has done. So the battle is on. The devil has always gone after the character of Christ. And he says, but the Holy Spirit is going to convict you of my righteousness, that I have risen from the dead and am ascended at the right hand of the Father. I am pure and righteous And so are you when you're in me. We'll get to that. And thirdly, concerning uh, concerning judgment, 
Because the ruler of this world has been judged. Who's the ruler of this world? What is his judgment? Where will he end up? The lake of fire. The Holy Spirit convicts men and women that the devil is going to be destroyed by the, by the Lord and all who follow him will share in his destruction. If you follow the ruler of this world, you'll end up with the ruler of this world in the lake of fire. If you follow the Lord God of hosts, you will end up with the Lord God of hosts in his eternal heaven forever. Who, the one you follow is the destination you're headed for. That's not a popular theme. People don't like to talk about it, but I'll tell you something. Your heart knows it's true because the Holy Spirit's telling you that. See, all the malarkey in the world and all the arguments and the speculation in the world may go on in your head, but your heart is being told by the Holy Spirit, there is a hell. Don't go there for heaven's sake. You know it. You know it intuitively, for the Spirit of God is teaching you. Now, how does the Father draw us? He draws us by sending the Holy Spirit to convict us and pull us to repentance. That's how. And those men and women who are willing to repent know they need a Savior. Those men and women are hungry for the bread of life. You see? I want to read you something that I'm reading to the staff. Our staff is actually going through this book. It's, a, it's an old book, 1927 publication uh, by R.A. Torrey, Reuben Archer Torrey. How many know that name? He was a, a great teacher in the uh, early part of the last century. And uh, he was the founding president of, of Moody Bible Institute uh, with Deal Moody. He became the, pre uh, the president of, of um, Biola. It sounds like he'd be an absolute anti um, Pentecostal kind of person. In fact, the major message of, of R.A. Torrey was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which he said was totally a separate experience uh, from salvation and preached it all over the world. Very powerful man. I'm taking the staff through this old book. I found it on my mother's bookshelf. Uh, it's out of print, uh, but we've been, uh, the Fleming Revell gave us the cop permission to photocopy it. Listen to this. He says, but the Holy Spirit not only convicts men of sin, he also convicts the world of righteousness. Not of our righteousness, for we have none, but of Jesus Christ's righteousness, attested by his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the Father, and the righteousness which God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. There are two things, two things only, that anyone needs to see in order to be saved. First, he needs to see his own sin and consequent need. Second, he needs to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the righteousness which God has provided for him in Christ. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to show men both these things. Now he tells a story that I think is very powerful. He says, The story is told of a faithful Scotch minister who was traveling through Scotland and stopped one night at an inn. The innkeeper came to him and asked him if he would conduct family worship. He replied he would if the innkeeper on his part would bring to the worship all the guests in the house and all the servants. This the innkeeper agreed to do. When they were gathered in the big room for the service, the minister turned to the innkeeper and said, Are all the servants here? Yes, replied the innkeeper. All, persisted the minister. Well, not one. 
Uh, not all, but one was missing. Uh, there is one girl who works down in the kitchen washing the pots and kettles who's so dirty she's not fit to come to the meeting. The minister replied, we will not go on with the service until she comes. And he insisted and the innkeeper went for the servant and brought her in. This faithful man of God became greatly interested in this poor neglected creature and when the others were passing out of the room, he asked her if she would not stay for a few minutes. And when everyone had gone, he said to her, I want to teach you a prayer for you to offer. Lord, show me myself. Will you offer it every day? She replied, she would. Let's pray that prayer. Lord, show me myself. Again, Lord, show me myself. I want to submit to you that until he has, the Father hasn't drawn us. That is a miracle working of the Holy Spirit to show us ourselves. There are people, I believe, who go through most of their life in church, but have not seen their own real need. They think of themselves as good people. I've, I've had people who've said to me, Pastor, this, when you talk about sin like this, I have a hard time. I haven't done a lot of bad stuff, to be honest with you. I haven't, I haven't had a life in the gutter. I don't have some huge testimony to confess. I've grown up in church. I've been fundamentally a good person, pretty honest, pretty good, right? Nice person. You see, that person is at a disadvantage. Because it's not the stuff you do that finally is the issue. It's your heart. And I'm going to tell you, you may have been in church till you, till you have a pulpit tone in the way you talk. But your heart's as rotten as anybody in this room. You're as selfish, as peevish toward people, impatient, you lack a tendency to kindness. How do I know? What do you like when you're in the flesh? How do you react when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something? Don't you constantly find it obnoxious when the Holy Spirit says, go pray for her. Oh, I don't want to. Give that sum to that person in need. Oh, Lord, I need this. Come on, your heart's as rotten as ours. But if you don't know it and you've never seen it, you better pray this prayer. Because you're not in good shape. You are not going to heaven because you've gone to church all your life. Or because you mow your lawn and mind your tongue. Do you understand me? I'm serious. You need the grace of God to show you your heart. And if you haven't ever had that, that's where you start. Until you know you're sick, you don't need a physician. She replied she would. The next day the minister left, but a short time afterward came back again and asked the innkeeper about this girl. The innkeeper replied, she is spoiled. She's no good at all. She's weeping all the time, weeping day and night and can hardly attend to her work. The minister asked to see her again, and when she came in, the minister said, now I want to teach you another prayer. Lord, show me thyself. Now pray that prayer every day. Let's pray that prayer. Lord, show me thyself. The minister left and a few years afterwards was preaching one Lord's Day morning in a church in Glasgow. At the close of the service, a neat, trim-looking young woman came up to him and said, Do you recognize me? He replied, No, I do not. 
She said, do you recall holding a service in an inn and speaking to one of the servants afterwards and teaching her to pray the prayer, Lord, show me myself, and afterwards teaching her the other prayer, Lord, show me thyself? Oh, yes, he said, I remember that. Well, she said, I am that girl. And when you taught me that first prayer and went away and I asked God to show me myself, he gave me such a view of my vileness and sin that I was overwhelmed with grief and could scarcely sleep at night or work by day for thinking of my sins. Then she said, when you came back and taught me the second prayer, Lord, show me thyself. God gave me such a view of himself, of his love, and of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for me, that all the burden of my sin rolled away, and I became a happy Christian. Yes, there are two things that each one of us needs to see. Our own sin... And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to show us that. And the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness that God has provided for you and me in Jesus Christ. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to show us that also. Jesus says, those who the Father draws, come to me. I'll tell you who the Father's drawing. Those who allow the Holy Spirit, and he's trying to convict all the world. But those who will hear the message, show me myself, and are willing to honestly let that happen to them. And then those who let the Holy Spirit show us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the resurrected, ascended Lord, his purity and his power, and the goodness that he, show, he brings to us. I think all he has to do to do this ministry is draw close to us. When you see the Lord... I mean, with your spirit, not theologically, but when your heart sees the Lord, the comparison between you and him is just glaring. The closer I go to the Lord, the more I see his kindness and his patience and his mercy, the more I see him rebuff me for my attitude toward others, the clearer the distinction between my heart and his is. See, this isn't something you just do when you're 15 and then you go on. As you walk with God, this process of show me myself, show me thyself goes on constantly. That's why we're taking communion today. The nearer you draw to Jesus, the more lovely he becomes. And the more vile your flesh becomes. And the more you see your own selfishness and impatience and dishonesty, oh, you're good at it, you're subtle. But the Holy Spirit convicts you, turns your heart. From the sweetest little old lady to the gruffest guy in the room, we all have that heart. Every so often somebody will say, oh, I know my heart, and I have on occasion given in to the temptation and say, yes, the Bible tells us about it. It says it is deceitfully wicked. And who can know it? That's your heart without Christ. Have you seen that? Do you know that? If you do not, then you start right where that, where that kitchen maid started. Lord God, show me that myself. If all this ends up to you as being a routine, you really figure you, you don't need it, but you do know there's somebody at the end of the row that probably does. Man, you better hit your knees. Because you're deceived. We do that. We are so sensitive to everybody else's sin. We can tell you what's wrong with our spouse. 
We can tell you what's wrong with everybody else in our small group. But when it comes to ourselves, we have an explanation for our weaknesses. You see, our mother was hard on us when we were young. We have trouble with our digestion. We get this way just when we're tired. Um, I'm a red-blooded American male. How can I help myself? I have explanations for my sin, not for yours. You just need to straighten up. But me, <laughs> I have a great deal of patience and mercy for me. That is the normal human heart. The normal human heart is extremely self-righteous toward others. Very critical of sin. Very impatient with people's weaknesses. But very patient about my own. With full explanations for why I do what I do. And when I can finally get in touch with my own sin and say, no, it's not my mother's fault. It's not my father's fault. It's not the fact that I was born in wherever or what. I, all of this psychological hoosh that goes over. I'm selfish. And I tend to be dishonest. And I'm impatient with people. And I don't want to give and serve. That's what it comes down to. Now we're talking. Now you're seeing who you are. And then with that comes this wonderful revelation that the Lord loves me so much that he would die for me. That the Lord has taken simply my faith in him and made me... the clothed me with his righteousness, elevated me to an adopted son or daughter of the kingdom of God, given me the Holy Spirit to dwell in me, that the Spirit of God would literally dwell in this temple. And then you're staggered. You're amazed. You marvel at this table. You don't just pass it down the aisle and pop some bread and juice. You're stunned that he would do this for you and love you like this. The first step, the Lord says in this, back to chapter 6, is that the Father would draw us. The second thing, verse 26, uh, 20, let, let me just go to verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Behold means to recognize the truth concerning who he is. You don't just see him physically, but you begin to know who he is, understanding who he is. And I won't take you verse by verse, but as all of those verses I read, here are the things Jesus said you would behold, you would understand. He said you would know that he is God's son, sent from heaven, performing an assignment from the Father that he came to earth to do the Father's mission, saving those the Father has drawn, giving them eternal life, not losing one, if you recall, resurrecting them on the last day, giving his life to save those who receive him into their heart. That is what it means to behold, to understand those truths. But then he goes on in verse 40 and he says, they must behold the Son and believe in him. And believes another step. To believe is for my understanding 
to miraculously be touched by the Holy Spirit. I believe it's a revelation and a miracle of God this happens until I know he has done these things for me. You see, I can believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world, but not have the faith that saves me at all. Do you understand the devil believes that? He believes that Jesus died for the sins of the world. There's, not a, there's no atheists in hell. Not one. There's not an atheist demon in the, in, in the world. They all know Jesus is the Son of God. They all know he died for the sins of the world. You see, you can know these things with your head. Don't kid yourself. That does not save you. There's a miracle that goes on where suddenly I realize he died for me. His work on the cross paid for my sins and has done so completely. Every so often, somebody will come in and they'll say, well, pastor, I just, I think what I've done is so bad that Jesus doesn't want me. As if you've done certain sins that are so awful or so much that you, you, you are an exception to the rule. I mean, he can forgive these little wimpo sinners around here, but somebody really tough and nasty like you, I mean, you're just out of the, out of the league. First of all, I think you're naive and don't know who's sitting next to you. <laughs> I'm really not joking. There's nothing we ain't done around here. Absolutely nothing. But secondly... You don't get it. You just don't get it. Jesus has already died for all the sins of humanity and victoriously risen from the grave. The stuff you've done and the stuff you haven't done yet has all been paid for. Successfully. It is finished. It is finished. And the resurrection, the Father said, Amen, it is finished. So you just flatter yourself, thinking you somehow are such a tough dude that you don't count. I mean, you're just out of this league. You hear that silly joke, which I don't think is a bit funny, but people keep telling it. You know, oh, he went to church, the roof would fall in. <laughs> You must think you're pretty tough. You don't get it at all. It's a gift of God which he wants to give. But you suddenly know Jesus died not simply for the sins of the world or for everybody else's, but you get it. He died for yours. And he rose from the dead with you in his heart. You rise with him. Do you know that? Do you know he died for you? That it was your sins that he paid for. Yes, for the whole world, but yours were there, nailed to the cross. And that with his resurrection, you rise with him. But there's one more step. Verse... 51, Jesus says, 
I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's speaking of his life, his sacrifice on the cross. I'm going to die. I'm dying for the world. And then he says, verse 53, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, his life poured out, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Of course, he's speaking spiritually, but it's very, a very powerful image he's using. You know, when we take now the broken bread and the cup, you eat it. You eat the bread right into yourself. You become one with the bread. You join yourself to it. You drink the cup. I actually believe, in fact, I know, that it is possible to have the Father draw you to behold and know all of these truths about Jesus, to believe, to have the faith that knows he died for my sins and rose again that I might live forever, to know that and yet still not have taken Jesus Christ as my Savior. You know why? Here's what he does when he offers us his sacrifice. He offers us his flesh. He says, come, be one with me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, join me. I think it's like this. If, if the podium were the Lord, as I, I can believe he's the risen son, I can believe he died for the sins of the world, I believe he died for my sins, all of that. But you know, before I really want to come over and join him, I got to count the cost. We're not stupid. We know that if we give ourselves to this Jesus, there's a price to pay. It's a big one, actually. There's no telling what he will do with our lives. And this is where many people stop. I believe all this stuff about Jesus. And some people are hoping that by going to church a lot and by kind of hiding their heart from the Lord, hoping he won't notice. But they've refused to pay the price. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a treasure which a man found hidden in the field. And he covered it back over and went out and sold how much? Everything he had to get the money to buy that field to possess that treasure. The price for the treasure is how much? Yes, it is. Salvation is a free gift for which you pay everything. There is a decision in every man or woman who comes to Christ. Will you give him yourself? And you see, we count the cost. For some people, they, they love their liquor. They really do. It's, one of the, it's absolutely the mainstay of their life. They need their liquor every day. And they know that if they really give themselves to Jesus, he's going to take that away from them. They're going to have to do this worship stuff and prayer stuff instead of just popping open something and chugging it down. They don't want to pay that price. There's some who have se uh, sexual indulgences. It's the highlight of their day and their life, for heaven's sakes. They don't want to give that up. There are those who are sure that if they really come to Jesus and say, yes, I become one with you, I am not ashamed of you, 
I join myself to you in front of the world and before God the Father. They're going to get persecuted. There's family members that are going to laugh at them or reject them. Some are really going to get punished. Some are going to lose inheritances. Some are afraid you're going to get called to the mission field. If you really give up and just give your life to Jesus, no telling, he's a fanatic. There's no telling what he'll do. Come on, isn't that in there? You're no fool. You know what he's asking for. You can sense it. When he offers you his flesh, and he says, come be one with me, join me, stand with me, be mine. You know there's a price to pay. And you're not stupid. You count that cost. And there are those who hope they can somehow sneak into heaven and nobody will notice they never chose to make him, to become one with him, to eat his flesh and drink his blood. 15,000 people walked away from him that day, disgusted with the whole image. Ten stood there and said, only you have the words of eternal life. Have you counted that cost? I have no doubt there are those I'm speaking to right now. And you know who you are. And you know you have fiddled around the edges maybe for decades. Hoping that God would not notice the absence of your commitment. Hoping that you could go to church enough and read the Bible enough and kind of be good enough that no one would notice that you'd never been willing to pay the sacrifice, never been willing to become one with Jesus, whatever that would mean, and follow him wherever he would lead. I'm telling you today, it's not enough. You need to make that choice. I can't make it easy for you. I can just tell you what the choice is. And I'll tell you what the other side of the choice is. He says, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me becomes one with me also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Here we are, 2,000 years later. He's going to offer us his body and his blood right now. Somebody will hand this tray to you and they'll hold it out and they'll say, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. If you've never prayed, Lord, show me myself and been willing to let him show you the real character of your heart. There'll be a, some moments now while we pass the tray. We'll all take together in a few minutes, but you've got some time. It may take more than just these few minutes, certainly, but you can say, Lord, show me myself. I've been praying that in each service, and oh my, we just peel the onion and I see something else every service. First service, he showed me that I had over years of my ministry 
softened the impact of the gospel and not told it as straight as I'm telling you now. And I suppose someday I'll be worse than this. But in doing so, had literally withheld eternal life from people. What a horrible thing. To, I mean, I wept. Who was I trying to impress? What was the point? Would you let the Holy Spirit, somebody today needs to just let the, say, show me myself. And then, of course, the following prayer. Show me thyself. The sweetness and beauty of Christ, that he would love you. I mean, think of that. Once you, when you really see yourself and then realize he loved you so much he came for you, endured the cross with the joy set before him. And you were the joy. He saw you. This is God, folks. He doesn't see masses of people. He, this, is the, this capacity of his is to know each of us completely as though we were only children. He saw you and loved you like that. Praise you, Jesus. And there's somebody today who needs to take that bread and say, I'm willing to become one with Christ. I will not be ashamed of him. I will pay whatever price it comes from being joined to him entirely. I will eat his flesh. I will drink his blood. I am one with him and he with me. I'll have eternal life. And I'll hear him say on that last day, I'll hear his shout and I'll rise from the dead, resurrected. He's worth everything. Somebody needs to make that, that choice as it's offered to you today. Holy Spirit, come. We love you. Make this, make this live, Lord. May not one of us escape right now the impact of what this means, that the body of Christ has been broken for us, the blood of Christ shed for us, Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' powerful name, amen. May I have those come who will assist me? As you pass the tray to, to someone next to you, would you hold it for them while they take the bread and cup and, let's, and, and say these words to them? I'm asking you to minister this tray, not pass it down the aisle. And so as, as you hold it, say this to, to, to your partner, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Would you say that? The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. You are the minister ministering that life. We have some moments. Let's let the Spirit of the Lord do his work in our hearts while we wait. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. For what I received from the Lord that I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. As you're ready to receive that precious offering, he says, I offer the, my flesh for the sins of the world. You're ready to become one with him, to trust him with everything in you. Would you take the body of Christ, broken for you? He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are clothed with his goodness. We have a new covenant that by faith in him, we are given his goodness over our weaknesses and sins. We are clothed with him, wrapped in his righteousness, so that we 
now come before the Father boldly, crying, Abba, walking right into the throne room of God, bringing our requests and prayers, knowing that the answer is yea and amen. Loved, full of the Holy Spirit, called by God as sons and daughters to serve him because of the new covenant, because of what Christ has done. We who see ourselves now see him and all that he's done for us and the righteousness we have in him. That's the new covenant. If that's your cup, would you drink it? And then let's begin to just thank him, would you, for a moment? Just praise the Lord in your own heart. Thank him for what he's done for you, loving you. You see yourself, the Spirit of the Lord showing you yourself, and yet he's showing you Christ and his love for you, his goodness to you, his sacrifice for you, all that he's done. Praise the name of the Lord. We give honor and blessing and glory to our Father for our great salvation. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.